don't think it's a surprise to any of you here or the people listening at home. If you've been journeying with me over the last 11 months that I've been at St. Pius, you know that I've mentioned before that I was an atheist before I became Catholic, before I became Christian. And one of the things that, that led me to that idea uh, were some of my college classes, specifically when we started to talk about the body and blood of Christ. I was a history major focusing on Reformation Europe. Uh, early modern Europe was, was the field I was most interested in. And when you read about the 30-year war that took place in Germany in the 1500s, you're just saddened beyond belief. And part of the problem was how the different Christian groups viewed the body and blood of Christ. The Catholic teaching from the very beginning is of transubstantiation. The bread and wine through a miracle at the altar are changed to the real presence of Jesus Christ, his body and blood. Luther came along and said, consubstantiation. It is both the body and blood of Christ in a real presence, but it's also still bread and wine. Both exist simultaneously. The Catholics say the bread and wine is gone. It's no longer there. It's the body and blood. Luther says they're both there. And in fact, at the end of the mass, at the end of the service, Jesus goes back to heaven and you're left with bread and wine that's left over at the altar. Then you have people like Calvin and Zwingli who come along and they say, it's not the real presence of Christ at all. It's only a memory of that last supper. Christ isn't present at the altar. And I'm sitting here kind of going, is there a right answer I need to know for the exam? My history professor was a Presbyterian minister, and so he would have been happy with real presence, but goes away, kind of a Lutheran thing. But he would have taken any of the answers. But what was more troubling for me is that all these people that read Christ's command to be one church, one body, one people, at the time of the Thirty Years' War, when Germany was being divided Catholic and Lutheran, and their neighbors in Switzerland were going Calvinist, we had to kill each other if we had a difference of opinion. If we came along on the street and I saw you and I'd see your necklace with a cross on it and I had my necklace with a cross on it, I'd go, Christian? And you'd go, Christian. And I'd go, transubstantiation? And you would go, consubstantiation. And I'd go, ah, I must kill you now. This is what the whole war was fought over. How can we be one people one group as Christ commanded us when we're killing each other over something like the body and blood of Christ. It was much simpler 
to chuck it all away and say, I'm an atheist. God would never allow that to happen. And I stayed that way. And then I, if you know my story, I had a conversation with grandma. And from that conversation, I looked into the church and it took me 12 years and three attempts at RCIA, but I landed at St. Clair's in Southwest Portland with a wonderful group of people. And I brought up these questions and God was not happy with the 30 year war. He's not happy with all of our divides. Anything that divides us, our religion that divides us, our race that divides us, our poverty or wealth that divides us, the hill that divides Portland and Beaverton, and the way that they look at us in the valley, and how we look at them in the city. It's so similar to what happens when you go to Hillsboro, and what those people in the fields and the farms are like compared to us suburban folk. God is not happy with any of those divides. Those are all man-made. Those are all people not understanding. And so I came to RCIA, my third attempt, and they started to talk about it and the real presence of Christ. And they showed me what was in scripture. And I said, I get it. I get who God is. I want to belong. And so 11 years ago, 2008, I joined the St. Clair swim team with a full body immersion, full body baptism, all of me underwater. And I came up the third time a Christian, a believer. And I was anointed in confirmation as soon as I dried off and got dressed again. And then minutes after that, I received the body and blood of Christ that had been consecrated at the altar. And a few years after that, I entered seminary. I said, I have a calling to be a priest. And I got to Rome and there are seven sacraments and we had two classes. One class covered six sacraments. A couple weeks on baptism, a couple weeks on confirmation, a couple weeks on penance. One class spent 10 weeks on the Eucharist. That's how important it was. And I got excited when I found out. I still had questions. I wanted to know when exactly during the consecration does the bread become the body of Christ? When exactly does the wine become the blood of Christ? And we got to the right point in the class for me to raise my hand. And Father Blankenhorn, a wonderful Dominican priest from California, who stands six foot eight and weighs about 180 pounds, stick thin, towers over you in his long billowing white garb. And he's also standing on top of a podium. And so to do justice, I would have to be way up here and he's standing, looking down the podium, and yes, Richard, Father, when exactly during the Eucharistic rite does it become the body and blood? Is there a moment? Is there a word? Is it the first chime of the bells? He said, that 
is a great mystery. We don't know. Sometime from when Father picks up the host, raises it, and sets it down, the miracle happens. Faster than we can measure. We talk about nanoseconds in some of the science fields. It's faster than a nanosecond. It, it was bread. It is now body. We don't know when. Oh, well, that's disappointing. I came to find all this great stuff out, and some of the most basic questions couldn't be answered in these highfalutin theology classes all the way in Rome. But it's okay. I spent some time meditating on this during the class. Well, not during the class, but outside of class with the assigned homework and the readings. And I came to the conclusion or to the realization everything I needed to know about the Eucharist I had learned at St. Clair's. We had a Bible study group. It was very successful as an ongoing thing for my RCI group. We loved studying the Sunday scripture and basically doing a group Lexio Divina. And we said, can we continue to do this? And they said, sure. Do you mind if you open it to other people? And I quickly became the leader of the group. And one winter on one of those cold, miserable Portland days where it's not cold enough to snow, but it's cold enough with the rain to just be miserable and dark at 3.30 p.m., I had a Bible study group to lead. And I really didn't want to go after work. But something said, you made a commitment and you're the only one with keys, you have to go. And so I did. And two other people showed up. And Greg, who is one of the people, you know, as we're starting, said, do we have to study scripture today? I want to talk about the Eucharist. It is just the most amazing thing to me when I am queuing up after seeing the miracle happen at the altar, as I'm walking and processing up to the altar to receive communion, something special takes place in my heart. My daughter has married a Protestant, and I've gone to their church, and it's a beautiful setting. I love the music, the, you know, the homily lasts for a half hour, and it's wonderful, but there is something missing at the Presbyterian church. It is not the real presence. I don't sense God there. When I come to the Catholic church, my heart sings. And the other gal there, who is a convert from Judaism, said, yes, you hit it perfectly. And I sat there thinking with my analytical mind, I have never felt that. And that's part of the thing that kept me from being Christian for so long. As I was looking for this truth that was intellectual, without feeling from my heart. And I said, these two must be on to something. I trust them. They're very good people. And I said, I'm going to stop and look around. 
And I went to Mass that weekend, and I stopped and looked at the faces of the people as they're coming up. And it wasn't every face, but there were enough faces that you could see a change in their facial structure as they went up. There was something beaming from them. They knew something special had happened and they were about to receive it. And I remember vividly a few months later, I watched a young mother with four squirming little kids. They were not behaving at all throughout Mass. They're hungry, they're fighting over the book. The littlest is eating her Cheerios. That mother was distracted beyond belief, trying to keep them seated in the pews. Parents, you've been there. You've experienced this, right? How distracted you are throughout everything. And in the moment that it came to get up to go receive, all four children suddenly behaved. All of a sudden, all the squirminess went away. It's as if the Holy Spirit reached down and said, you are in the presence of Jesus Christ. Behave like that. And that mother was able to collect her inner calm, and you could see the peace that radiated from her as she went up to receive. It lasted a minute. They're back. She's received. She had peace for a little bit. And then the squirminess began again. But there's something about being in the presence of Christ that changes you. And six months later, I was kneeling in the pew getting ready to come up. And something hit me. I don't know why, but I knew I was in the presence of Jesus. And I went forward to receive with tears coming down my face, knowing that I was receiving the blessed sacrament, that Jesus loved me so much that he would always be there for me. A year later, I was in seminary. And here I am now, eight years later, telling you this story. I wish it would happen every time, but it doesn't. But there will be moments when you come forward to receive the blessed body and blood of Christ, and you will feel that touch on your shoulder. You will feel the hair on your back of your neck just rise up, knowing that you are in the presence of God, knowing the gift that he is giving you with his body and blood, the promise that he will always be with you, that you will never be abandoned by him, no matter what you do. His door to heaven and to the kingdom will always be open. We just need to accept it. For those of you at home, pray. 
pray that you will be back in this church to receive the Blessed Sacrament again and soon. You are missing out so much. We know with the virus that some people need to stay home for safety. God will take care of you. But it is not the same as being here and receiving the body and blood of Christ into your heart and into your soul. Yes, Christ died for us, but the greatest gift was that he defeated death and has come back and is present to us at every Mass.